Welcome to Chihaui Chat, the Maryville College podcast, where we introduce you to the students, faculty, and staff who are continuing the college's 200-year tradition. I'm Carolyn Lamar, and throughout this bicentennial year, we will interview a variety of people here on campus. First up, Carl Gombert. So this is your 25th year at Maryville College. Yes, uh, actually my 26th. I you started with us in 1993. I did. I did. Talk so. to us about some of the changes that you've seen during your time here. Well, um, there are new buildings, certainly. Um, there are new buildings that are old buildings. The place we're sitting right now is a replica of a building. Um, the exterior is as close as possible to the old building, but of course all the interior spaces are redone. I can see out the window the addition to uh, Bartlett Hall, which is new. Uh, when I got here, Carnegie Hall was just reopening in the, in the fall. Um, the old Wilson Chapel and Fine Arts Center have been replaced. Uh, the grounds, trees have... Uh, I'm old enough to think that actually I have watched witnessed trees go from seedling to sapling to mature tree to fall down and be replaced. It probably takes a little longer than that, but uh, the landscaping is different. The college woods are different. Uh, um, athletic facilities. So the, the physical visible changes are tremendous. Um, what as far as your particular area of study? How has that changed in your time here? Well, we now have uh, art and design. When I got here, there was uh, one colleague who was the entire art department. And now, of course, we're much bigger. We have art and design, a variety of emphases, um, and the number of students. There were five art students when I got here in 1993. Uh, but the other thing I was going to say, there were only, there were about 700 students full-time then. So we've almost doubled in size. Um, part of it may be age and failing memory. I used to sit at graduation and there was a very, very high percentage of students that I knew and knew personally. And, and unfortunately, while we're still a small school and I still have lots of great relationships with lots of students, there are a whole lot more of them walking across that stage that I'm saying, I don't know that person. So, um, so we've grown in in numbers, in size, in the sort of breadth of our offerings, both within our program and across campus. Is it important that we still study the arts in 2018 and 19? Oh, well, there's a, there's a number of reasons for that. Um, certainly, um, the arts are a ubiquitous part of the human experience. Uh, every culture we've ever known about has art-making practices and tendencies, and so um, if one wants to understand the human condition, certainly one needs to understand the role and nature of the arts. And, and the arts teach us to play, not in a childless or frivolous way, but to uh, experiment and explore and discover. And, and I would argue that at some fundamental level, um, that kind of process in the arts is very similar to the, art, to the sciences as well, to figure out how stuff works, what is made out, what could be possible, what could be done. Um, an argument that I'm surprised isn't made as much, though, is the economic argument. Uh, parents and administrators and recruiters, of course, are always talking about sort of the economic results of a college education and what is one, one is going to study. Um, 
I have heard it said, I don't necessarily know if I could verify it, but the number one import of the United States, or export rather, the number one export is entertainment products otherwise known as the arts, um, and that this is one of the leading economic drivers of American prosperity, whether it's um, clothing and games and movies. And I don't mean to just say that we need to be entertaining people, but everything that people touch and use has been designed, has been artified in some way. So the arts is, is absolutely foundational to the human experience. Um, Another argument I would use is literacy. If the purpose of college is to further one's literacy as in preparation to be an effective citizen, uh, learning to decode words and secondary meanings associations is important. Learning to decode and manipulate the symbols of mathematics are important. But we are awash in images, uh, more so than in, than in any point in our history. and. If one does not understand how images work, one is gullible uh, and one is prey to both propaganda, to media, to marketing, and visual literacy is one of the burning needs in education today. Part of the exhibit about to open at the Denso Gallery at the mm -hmm. Clayton Center. Mm -hmm. Tell us about the process of getting that ready. Uh, it's been it's been an interesting um, and complicated process. Um, we use the word museum, which is a little um, is not truly a museum. It's a temporary exhibit, or so on. Uh, the backstory is that the history. Uh, storytelling and Legacy Projects Committee was brainstorming the kinds of activities, events, or things that we could do to commemorate the Bicentennial. And uh, Martha Hess is on the committee, uh, who is certainly very involved in archives, and one of the things we knew was we have um, very rich resources in the archives here. We have photographs and texts and film and things. And uh, uh, we worked to get the film digitized and into safe storage, and then we started to find some of the stuff that's on there. And we started by thinking about events and publications, but somehow the conversation turned to a and I'm putting up my finger quotes here, a permanent installation, and permanent means at least for the year here, where some of those archival images, uh, especially some of the, the older photographs, could be safely made public without exposing the objects to danger or uh, possible deteriorating consequences and so on. Um, that we could would make basically a museum. And that this would also, as we talked about it, it would allow student researchers to um, both explore their own interests and help us discover some of the context and the backstory of these things. Uh, student writers and editors and designers could put materials together. And the whole thing snowballed into what we might even say is a pretty good idea so that we have this museum that will be available uh, for people to come and explore various facets of the rich 200-year history. Because there's a lot of ground to cover. There is. Um, but we will not be all things to all people. We've tried to organize, we, we uh, tried to set up a kind of 
scenario or a, 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 a system where any topic could be covered and find a place, but without feeling the necessity to try to tell everything. And there have been good histories of the college already written. There are senior thesis projects exploring other facets. So we don't feel a need to cover everything. Um, we are like any good music, I think highly selective in what stories we want to tell and how we want to tell them. Uh, so we developed four broad frameworks, things like academics, athletics, um, student life, and then community. And so that different topics could be explored. Uh, uh, for example, there may be a panel exploring the community's response to fires on campus and how the how the town really helped raise money and support the college in in uh, that time. Uh, we will have a story about uh, refugee resettlement uh, that took place 20 years ago. We'll talk about the, the reintegration efforts uh, after Brown versus Board of Education decision was handed down, and uh, lost buildings of the campus. There'll be there'll be just lots of. I guess we could call them vignettes out of the broader tapestry of history. About how the students were involved, what what are they learning through this process of preparing these exhibits? Well, lots of things. Um, we have two design majors who are now actually working as interns as a class project, the Design 2 class uh, submitted. They were all asked to design information graphic systems uh, so that uh, content that was created for the museum could be laid out and it would be coherent and cohesive and so on. And so certainly uh, those students learned a lot about that professional aspect of a kind of design work that is very real. And then the two students who are continuing to work as designers are in many ways um, uh, they're learning also uh, curatorial skills, editorial skills, project management skills, as well as the uh, basic design kinds of things. Uh, for example, uh, a colleague, my friend uh, Dr. Drew Crane, has written a fairly comprehensive history of the college woods and found and worked with archives to find all kinds of images and so on. Uh, and it's fantastic, but it's more information than we can fit on a sort of single 32 by 40 panel or even a pair of panels. So the students are now tasked with the uh, job of editing, selecting, and uh, boiling that bigger story down into the sort of, I don't want to say bite size, but the manageable, presentable museum kind of display. Um, and this is very much, although they're getting course credit for their work, these are not classroom assignments. These are real-world projects that also turn into and, and real-world sort of situations that prepare them for the rest of their professional lives. I hope people take away from the exhibit when they visit. I hope that they take away knowledge that they may not have had before um, that maybe I should back up and say we envision there will be there will be lots of different kinds of folks coming to this exhibit um, there will be alums with deep knowledge and and a very complicated relationship to the college and their own memories and experiences and I hope those folks find new things 
to celebrate uh, just things they hadn't known before um, or that they connect with memories that they have and all of those things. Uh, I also expect a lot of people will be new to the college, uh, whether local or from around, and certainly uh, those folks, I hope, come away with a sense of, um, well, admiration and respect for the, the mission of the college, the history of the college, um, the, the work that the college has and continues to do in um, preparing citizens for lives of, of engaged service to the peoples of the world, um, as well as, uh, I hope it's... Uh, Entertaining, pleasant. I mean, we will not be shying away. From, we're we're not candy coating anything. We're not doing those kinds of things. But you know, I, I certainly hope there's um, that there's lots of good things that come away from here. That's not a very eloquent answer, but what is your personal favorite part of this exhibit? We do have. The stories about the college woods. Uh, we're going to have a fantastic timeline that will take up a whole big wall and divide the 200 years uh, with lots of relevant facts and dates, so that people can help contextualize. It'll help contextualize sort of where what was going on at different periods and so on. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, some other things that are forthcoming, though, is uh, we should have a history of the American Sign Language program and major. Uh, I think that will be very interesting. Uh, I think uh, seeing the story, I've seen the all the pictures about the College Woods that the students have to choose from, but I haven't seen how they're going to put it together yet and other things. So, um, And I get pretty excited and uh about lots of new things. So I am anticipating that I'm going to love whatever's in front of my face at the moment. You said one of the um, things we're going to be lifting up is about the resettlement of refugees. Yes. And that yes. project. Can you tell me a little bit more about that and the connection to the college and the community at large here in Blunt County? Uh, sure, sure. It was actually a project uh, that my wife and I worked on a lot in 1999. Um, and so it was just uh, an odd coincidence that that, that is uh, 20 years earlier than the uh, bicentennial. Uh, <clears throat> after the Kosovo War, the United States decided that they would, uh, there was a humanitarian crisis and the United States allow, uh, decided that they would allow, uh, it was either 20,000 or 50,000, I think it was maybe 50,000 refugees to be resettled as uh, a way of helping to relieve uh, the crisis in, in Southeastern Europe. Uh, long story short, it turned out that um, Individual families had volunteered, thinking, oh, we could, you know, maybe help a grandmother resettle. Uh, we found out that what was needed were uh, typically large congregations would resettle large families, and it's a huge job. It involves English language training and getting people jobs and uh, getting people school and medical care and dental care and all kinds of things. Um, it occurred to some folks here that the college at least at some level, functionally resembled a large congregation. We had the numbers of peoples and the kinds of resources, and Bridge Refugee Services in Knoxville um, were very gracious. They told us, well, we've never had anything that wasn't a church do this before, but okay, let's give it a try. And with the approval of President Gerald Gibson, when we realized we had empty dorms in the summer, because the immediate need was 
housing for folks who were arriving. And this was a family of, um, eventually it was uh, a mother and father and, let me count here, one, two, three. Well, there were eventually 10 people. There were seven people who came first and eventually 10 who needed immediate housing and medical care and all these kinds of things. Um, the college gave it a go and there were literally dozens of people uh, involved on campus and in the community. And we uh, mobilized local churches for sort of food brigades. Different congregations would take a day of the week and just say, we will make sure that three meals get shown up. and Or we will um, drive the kids to school every day because none of the family could drive uh, until they got driver's licenses, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and eventually we had to find more permanent housing and jobs and all those kinds of things. One key feature who will be had, uh, held up here, though, uh, that made the whole thing possible, we had a student here, Yonika uh, Timo, who was from Albania. And so she... Uh, spoke Albanian like the Kosovar refugees, and she became the full-time, 24-7 go-to translator. And without her, the, the project would have been very different and probably less successful. But. but this is a big part of who we are, a project like this, from the very beginning, from Isaac Anderson. This is one way that we have lifted up his mission. Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, and, and in hindsight, absolutely. Um Looking at it in history, too, I think had we known what was involved, if in fact, if anybody knew what was involved, they probably wouldn't do it because it's so daunting. But um, I think you're right. It's, it's part of what we are. We, we um, folks on campus saw a need, saw an opportunity um, and made it happen. And at the same time, looked for educational opportunities along in ways of incorporating students into the ongoing work in ways that were forward-looking and sending, you know, building skills and, and things for the future. For our bicentennial year, noble, grand, and true. Mm -hmm. When you hear that, what does noble, grand, and true mean to you personally? Oh, you can edit this out. I first thought, that's a good name for a law firm. Okay. <laughs> okay, but uh, noble, grand, and true. Noble is a word that doesn't get used enough anymore, but um, it's um, noble, grand, and true to me sounds vaguely Dickensian, um, and that those are all uh, ideas that I can get behind. Um, Noble. I mean, and not the nobility. I'm I'm against any kind of aristocracy on principle. But um, nobility with a lowercase n, in the sense of doing things that are admirable and worthwhile and directed to a higher purpose. Um, that sense of noble is where I think we all should be aimed. Grand, of course. I mean, I don't want to, you know, make cheap slogans like, you know, go big or go home. But, I mean, if you're going to do it, it I guess I was taught to believe and I very much believe if you're going to do something, do it well. Do it to the best of one's ability. And, and grand may not always just mean large. It means the best in those cases. And true. 
has so many nice resonances too that it is sort of the navigational the navigational sense where one aims at a thing and one stays true to one's but it not so much i i don't take noble grand and true to be about truth or falsity but about um aim um ending up where you intended to be staying true in that sense Thank you for joining us for this episode of Chilhowie Chat, the Maryville College podcast.